And so I learned while researching this book that James Monroe was a man of great contradictions, the least celebrated but most successful member of the Virginia dynasty, a president who presided over an era of unprecedented peace and prosperity while expanding the U.S. military, and, in summation, a fascinating subject for a biography. Before I sign your first editions of my book, James Monroe, in American Life, I'll take a few questions. Yes. So, Dr. Nair, is it true that in 1820, James Monroe won the biggest electoral college victory in history? Yes, 228 votes out of 229, a 99.5 winning percentage. But if there was no one running against him, why wasn't it unanimous? Because universal assent is not good for democracy. Everyone knows that. Are there any other questions? Coming to you from Chicago, Illinois, DB Comedy presents The Electables, Presidential Sketch Comedy and History for People Who Can't Afford Hamilton. Today's episode, James Monroe. What you are about to hear in this podcast is a mashup, partly sketch comedy in a radio comedy vein, and partially discussions about presidents and history and how that changes. The folks you'll be hearing are DB Comedy, a political sketch comedy company that's been working in Chicago since 2006, where actors, writers, producers, and directors, along with actual real-life historians and experts in all things presidential. Thanks for downloading. Hope you like it. You know you make me wanna vote. stick my hand up and vote. cast my ballot and vote. ignore the popular. Yo, okay, enough, Isley. Brothers of Upsilon Sigma Alpha USA, USA. I, John Marshall, by the power invested in me as hell, Jeff A. Judicio del Corto Supremo, must remind you, my brothers, that we did not come to the Electoral College to party. Hey. <laughs> okay, not just a party, but to fulfill our sacred duty as rich white dudes to certify the results of last year's election, such as it was, for President of UPSIG. Hey. Yeah, boring, but it's in our charter, so let's get out of the way and get back to the era of copying good feels. We'll hear some brief remarks from our two, uh, well, one and a half candidates. First, please welcome a man who lettered into wars, heir to the Greek traditions of Virginia-born head honchos, James Mad Dog Madison, Secretary of State, and Tommy Sally Boy Jefferson's envoy to Europe, the incumbent and Monroe, James Monroe! Hey, ho, Monroe! Hey, ho, Monroe! Well, thanks for the intro, Martial Law. I just want to say, in the four years since you humbled me by recognizing my awesomeness, <laughs> I think I've done a heck of a job as president of USA. I annexed Florida, guaranteeing centuries worth of killer spring breaks. <laughs> My Congress posse and I have created a wicked cool armed forces, including both an army and a navy. Oh yeah, you can bet your musket balls that the British won't be burning down the White House while I'm there. <laughs> oh, 
and I solved the problem of slavery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some people like slavery. Some don't. Why can't we all just get along? Huh? Do I not speak the truth, Isley? It's your thing. Do what you want to do. Oh, but no. So I said, hey, let's compromise. You know, keep slavery in the South, ban it in the North. Let Missouri pledge the Union as a slave state, but let Maine join as a free state since, after all, Missouri loves company. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. That joke gets funnier every time he tells it. (laughs) Anyway, that's all I got to say. Go Cavaliers! Wahoo! Wahoo! Virginia! Oh, tough act to follow. Um, But one man's going to try. You know, Jay Monster beat the only other candidate, no preference, in a landslide. (laughs) But the Federalists, (laughs) they still exist, man. They did nominate one guy for vice president. So please welcome from New Jersey, the state where Alexander Hamilton, and for all intents and purposes, the Federalist Party bought it in 1804, Richard Stockpile. That's Stockton. Mea culpa macho. I was going to defer, but after that appalling exhibition, I cannot be silent. Four or five presidents have been from one state. Did we shed the yoke of British tyranny only to assume Virginia? Regarding Mr. Monroe's alleged accomplishments... General Jackson seized Florida in a flagrant disregard of Mr. Monroe's orders. What kind of commander can't control his subordinates? What kind of Republican prefers a professional military, the weapon of tyranny, to a well-regulated state militia? Have you not read the Second Amendment? And finally, Mr. Monroe has hardly resolved the issue of slavery. He has merely delayed the inevitable cataclysm. With this craven Missouri compromise, he has merely kicked the can down the road. My fellow Americans, are you men or are you sheep? <laughs> yeah. Okay, not bad for a footnote. Uh, try to stay out of the stock, Stocky. So, all those in favor of re-electing Mr. President James Monroe to the White House say aye. Aye. All opposed? Aye. I vote for John Quincy Adams. Okay, no more ale for that guy. <laughs> anyway, hey, one end on the Bible, J-Mo. Are you going to continue to be an awesome prez? <laughs> Fuck to the yeah. Sing it, Isley. Time is truly wasted. There's no guarantee. Smile is in the making. We got to fight the power that be. What? James Monroe, James Monroe, Man. the Tom Hanks of presidents. The era. Everybody loved but him. But truly, the era of good feelings. Yeah. How could, I mean, it just makes you feel so good inside. I mean, it's easy to have good feelings when you have no opponents. And you have nothing to do. 
And, and you win based on your war record, speaking again of presidents who win because they win a battle or two. And the last founding father. Also, yeah, I mean, how can you not be happy about that? Yeah, who was left? Finally. By no, that pretty point. Much most people that, that had as It might be interesting to take a step back. So Washington, Jefferson, Adams, Madison, Monroe. I realize that's not in perfect sequence. <laughs> no. They were the ones that became presidents because they apparently won. Then you sort of have, um, so who was left? So you have Burr and Hamilton who were, I don't know if e- either one of them would have wanted to be president at some point. I mean, Hamilton, Hamilton couldn't, did, but, he but he okay. could Okay. Also, well, but he couldn't. He was not a naturalized citizen. I mean, none of them were. Oh, I mean, they were born in America before it was America. America wasn't America. Yeah, so. but he was not born in America. I just did, don't think that counts. Did that count? Ooh, historian counts. fight. When, historian when did, fight. Like when did did they have a cutoff? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think it, no, it counts. Counted, right? Like he was not count? native born. I mean, they had the the alien acts under John Adams, which kind of defined that whole. Yeah, he's not allowed. But it got struck down by sort of. Kind of. Not really. Wow. No, they they thought so. For those, keep, so. For those keeping track at home. I'm not sure if that counted. They thought so. For those keeping track at home, the Alien and Sedition Acts kind of were still the law that we used to inter the Japanese Americans during World War II. Hot chad More or less. But I guess, I guess my, my, my initial question, though, is were there other founding fathers that would have loved to have gotten the gig? I mean, Aaron Burr only, right. I mean, to the Aaron point that he started his well, own Well, he was already out of the country by then, of course. <laughs> I mean, he, was, he wanted to be emperor of Mexico, so like... <laughs> I mean, you conspire to steal the Louisiana Purchase. My favorite fact about him. Yeah, sure, you killed him. Alexander Hamilton, oh, really? Whatever. Oh, really? But My favorite fact about him is that he Louisiana died penniless in a hotel in Baltimore. Was it Baltimore? I think so. How does one conspire to steal that much land? <laughs> With audacity. (laughs) (laughs) With gumption. (laughs) Yeah, why isn't there an Aaron Burr musical? Like, I actually really need that in my life. Isn't that what Hamilton is? (laughs) Isn't it secretly an Aaron Burr musical? Yeah, but whoever plays Burr always wins the acting awards. It's true, though, because they're amazing. Lin Manuel did not. Well, it's also because poor Lin Manuel actually can't sing. He won everything else. Well, he's a rapper. Funny thing, he really thought that if he were to come back to the musical, that he could play Aaron Burr. Uh, But his, uh, (laughs) but his musical director slash friend gave him a hard, cold reality check and said, maybe you might be able to do Lafayette Jefferson because of the rapping, but you are not a singer, my friend. (laughs) You're not Leslie Odom Jr. (laughs) I saw him live, by the way, at Ravinia, and I literally melted into my seat. It was the best. Please don't tell Lynn Miranda that we said any of this. We love we you. Want you to want you to be a. Pr- we want you to subscribe. But if you want to come on the show and refute us, that's great. Absolutely. You're welcome. <laughs> that's one way to get Lynn I mean, and Miranda music. smack talk. <laughs> <laughs> Even if you took some historical liberties. Anyway, but honestly, I'm, I'm curious. What happened to John Hancock? Like, did he just cramp his hand and then that was it? <laughs> I'm out. No, I think, that I think he started an insurance company. <laughs> <laughs> Just like Sam Adams started a brewery. brewery. Well, um, he actually did, though. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, John Hancock, I mean, he had already a super successful career as a the wealthiest uh, merchant in Boston. And for him, it was just easier to go back to that. 
right? He, he's not going to be making any more money being president. Probably like, less. Right? Like, let's just keep on being a merchant in Boston. <laughs> because back then you weren't allowed to profit from the presidency. Oh, darn. <laughs> what backwards people in the past. <laughs> so all of the founding fathers got their due, and this is the last due. So it's almost like, a, almost like this eight-year valedictory for everything that was, everything that had happened at that point. And... The country seemed to oblige by more or less calming down. Yeah, I mean, it's the era of good yeah. feelings, um, which I think is one kind of the... Kind of says it all. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it's really, to me, one of the best-named uh, eras or presidencies, um, right? It's right after the War of 1812. Um, trade is going well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the American system, which I talked about a lot <laughs> during the Madison episode. Can you tell I really like the American system? Was being successful. It was doing its job. The British have finally stopped impressing our sailors. Right. And so things in this nascent America are actually not bad for white people. <laughs> Very important qualifier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, is, is this the first significant sort of rolling up of area where there are state new states being added? Ooh, this is night. Uh, I mean, it's not the first at all. Um, Ohio became a state in 1803. So uh, being from Ohio, I have Me memorized too. that since I was a child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, certainly not the the first sort of era of new states. Um, you know, so states in the you know Northwest Territory had already sort of become states and things like that. But but I do think there is sort of more of this expansion of. Uh, areas of the country that were not part of the country at the time of the revolution. So, you know, the Northwest Territory was not, uh, you know, by any means a colony and a settled place that could have become a state at that time, Mm -hmm. but it was already part of the country. Um, So now during this time, we're starting to see other areas um, that had been expanded post-revolution becoming, you know, more populated, more more politically uh, active and and becoming states. Especially with a little bit of economic stability, it becomes so much Mm -hmm. easier to justify picking up your home and your family and going west, right, to find and settle in a new place. frontier. Another thing about this era, like you said, with good feelings, as Patrick pointed out, that there's no opposition. There's no political party parties. And Patrick, go ahead. Yeah, the Federalists basically stopped being a thing at this point. (laughs) (laughs) And the Founding Fathers had said political parties are a bad thing. And in some ways, they sort of proved it. (laughs) Except after this era, parties start to pop up again. Yeah, we will soon see the emergence of the Whig Party. I guess not soon, soon, but within 20 years. And the Whigs, right, are the birth of the Republican Party. You know, we'll see who else. The Know Nothings. Um, They're my favorite 19th century <laughs> political party. <gasps> they just have the best name. Know Nothings. <laughs> right. And and so it's very easy, like you're saying, to have an era of good feelings when you're the only game in town. I don't Shout know. Shout out to the Democratic Republicans. Well, but I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know. Part of me, part of me doesn't like having a single party it makes me as a historian and maybe even as an american slightly uncomfortable oh yeah i mean definitely it's not it doesn't feel good right like well uh, you have to actually know what each individual person was thinking and <laughs> <laughs> instead of just like broad swaths of people must have made Congress I mean, but there really was, boring. you know there becomes this one choice right as far as like national possibility because there's only one party and everyone more or less agrees Well, gentlemen, 
what did you all think of my second inaugural address? Oh, um, uh, very stirring, sir. And uh, which part did you find most engaging, John Quincy Adams? The entirety, I suppose. <laughs> and how about that ball? Has Washington ever seen such a party? Uh, Mr. President, I still don't understand the need for all this ballyhoo. You ran unopposed. The people have faith enough. Can such an expense be justified? Henry Clay, how is a man of your youth such a wet blanket? <laughs> Every president has a second inauguration. Uh, well, not your dad, Quincy Adams. Surely you too, Mr. Clay, wish to celebrate four more years of the era of good feeling. Not this again. <laughs> That's right, baby. Four new states admitted to the Union, a stronger Navy, a completed national road from the Potomac to the Ohio, and the best number of political parties a country can have, one. <laughs> and the country is far more peaceful now than it was under my predecessor. Well, we were at war then, sir. One newspaper, one in Boston, used the phrase, era of good feelings, Arrow all good time. Feelings. Yes, and now you use it as an excuse to ignore all of the problems facing our nation. Take the Northwest. <laughs> Don't think I haven't tried. Stack out. Oh, hands off the um, um, Sir, he means the Russian claim on all lands north of the 51st parallel. If we have to give up that land, it would be a massive foreign policy defeat. <clears throat> uh, Quincy, it would be a massive foreign policy defeat during? I, uh, I beg your pardon, Mr. Monroe? Uh, Quincy Quinn, it would be a massive foreign policy defeat during what? <sighs> during the era of good era feelings. Era of good feelings! Yeah! There we go! That hardly addresses the issue. Uh, what hardly addresses the issue? The era of... Era. Oh, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. That's fine. I can wait. And so can appropriations for surveyors to look at lands west of the Alleghenies. Uh, era of good feelings. Era feeling. of good feelings. Now listen up, kid and Clay. Relax. Just like, uh, what's that territory? Missouri. Love's company, I'm told. <laughs> I'm uh, Dr. Quinn, up top. Uh, no, but in all seriousness, I can guarantee you both that before I end my second term, that land will be admitted to the Union as a state and it will, in time, it will grow to be the home of our finest poets and storytellers. You really think so, sir? Nah, I'm putting you on. It'll be a slave state, the best kind. But all this debate is just a bump on the road, my guy. Uh, speaking of roads, sir, there is the issue of the national road. Uh, the national road completed during my first term? Mm -hmm. How good of you to bring it up, Claymation? Uh, Mr. Madison started it, and you vetoed a bill that would allow Congress to collect tolls to finance its repair. Uh, I told the Congress to pass an amendment allowing them to finance internal improvements. Uh, yes, but they haven't, sir. Many feel that the Constitution already allows them to do so. Uh, and if Congress gains control over interstate commerce, it will be a massive blow to states' rights. I wouldn't worry about it too much, bro. I got... A good feeling about it. <sighs> That's not to mention Colonel Jackson's continual disobedience. Good feelings! The ongoing question of slavery. Good feelings! The fate of Indians east of the Mississippi. Good feelings, good feelings, good feelings. Sir, this is ridiculous. 
You can't simply hide behind a glowing review from four years ago. Is this your doctrine? Is this your legacy? Is it to be one of total ignorance and narcissism? Some of us don't have to worry about our legacies, Clay. Some of us have already been president. Oh! Oh, snap! Now, I may not know all of the answers at present, but I do know this. Years from now, when they write the history of our fair nation and force school children to learn it, they'll think of only one thing when they think of James Monroe. The era of good feelings! That, or they'll confuse me with James Madison. Our names are very similar. But they'll remember me and you, my cabinet members, for our steady hand as we peacefully expanded West and secured a national identity. You're really sure of that? As sure as I am, all presidents come from Virginia. Oh! Well, I'm not your dad, Quincy Adams. Hey. Are we in the era of uh, Manifest Destiny yet? Or is that, are we weird? Uh, manifest. And that's, that's more like that. 1900. Okay. Yeah. Polk is getting into But there is well, this sense of, you know, moving west, you know. Yeah, there is this, Oregon again. and all of that. Yeah, yeah there, I'm there, thinking there, more Frederick Jackson Turner. Yeah. But there is beginning, again, there is this sense of we are, ex- this country is expanding, this we country expand is growing. We expand again, you know, beyond just the Louisiana Purchase right. as well. So there are, is this continual expansion at this point. A God-ordained expansion. Well, then it is Manifest Destiny if it's God-ordained. Was, was that something uh, Monroe-like talked about? You know, again, I'm not a uh, surprising uh, fact here. Again, I'm not a James Monroe expert but you know we did mention the monroe doctrine and so this really is at least the first time that we see an american president making a foreign policy that has implications for our country's um borders yeah and i mean i think that um you know expresses our dominance and says that, I mean, it doesn't explicitly say, but it kind of says, like, hey, if anybody's going to be getting new territory around here, it's going <laughs> to be us. Um, In this hemisphere. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and it doesn't explicitly say that, but it says, you know, all of you Europeans, don't be coming sniffing around here and trying to get territory in Colombia. In the Western Hemisphere. Honduras. And who does that leave? Right? At this point, who does that leave? Right. Canada? Us in Canada? Canada's still part of Britain. Right. So us, and and to some extent, I I would see that as manifest destiny, but not in the traditional sense that we think of it as coast to coast. Yeah, right from sea to shining sea. This is more of a it's a proto manifest destiny, <laughs> <laughs> one that was a little uh, too enthusiastic, too. But expansive. it was, but it was done as a way to stake a claim, as opposed to be imperialistic, as we would come to know it and see explicitly it imperialistic. I was going to yeah. say it's, it comes off as pretty imperialistic. I mean, like I said, it, I mean, it didn't explicitly say we're the only ones allowed to be expanding around here, but mm. that's the implication. If no one else is allowed to expand around here, we're certainly not going to let the Native Americans keep their land. Right. I mean, there's so, a, there's a like reason that Mexico Teddy... going to do? There's a reason that Teddy Roosevelt points back to the Monroe Doctrine, right, when he's president. Oh, yeah. Right? And as the ultimate imperialist president, there's a reason that he points to the Monroe Doctrine as... His own doctrine. Better horses. <laughs> Better stick. Okay. <laughs> you heard it here first. Teddy Roosevelt had a better stick. Certainly bigger. <laughs> Again, 
I'm I'm definitely going to promo. Uh, or I should have said that very softly. <laughs> no, because Joe would have just made it louder in the mixing. She's got the loudest mic right now. So oh, we're, we're nice. Dry. <laughs> when you're carrying uh, a big stick, you are softly going. <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry to be creepy for no one who got those very obvious references. Uh, do we know a lot about what the other countries uh, on this side of the ocean thought about the Monroe Doctrine at the time? Question. Like, did they, well, like, did they take it in the... controlled by Europe still. Like, did they take it in the... Point protectionist patriarchal sense that we implied yeah, it. Haiti was already independent. Haiti was already independent then. They yeah. blew off France in 1804. Suckers. Yeah. Deuces. Suckers. But you also have those are all com- um, countries with people a, of color. On a, on a quick on a quick yeah. side tangent one of my favorite uh, facts I just recently learned about the Haitian Revolution is when the French revolutionary forces went over to quash the rebellion the their naval commanders had to tell them to cover up all their badges that said live Equality and fraternity, Woof. because it would give the Haitians the wrong idea. <laughs> Marcus Garvey um, picked it up eventually. But yeah, well, but and I, people they, were pretty. Uh, well, white people were pretty frightened of Haiti oh, in this hemisphere. Oh, the idea of wait a minute, uh, we don't want our slaves hearing about this. They may give some ideas. Mm-hmm. I mean, when the Haitian Revolution happened, it was a huge deal here to think. Well, I mean, first of all, right to think that slaves could revolt in this way and succeed. I mean, my God. But then also to think we have to keep this information quiet because if our slaves find out about that, they're going to want to do the same thing. But I mean, I think to go back to your question about what did other countries think at the time of this, honestly, we were kind of the only game in town that had the clout to be able to say anything about it. So yeah, Haiti wasn't had had, had their revolution at that point, but Canada is still part of Great Britain. The majority of the rest of Central America, the Caribbean, and South America is still owned by Europeans at that point. I'm and but and but then you still had all the various empires in in Europe, and they could you know. And after America beat off the British Empire, they seemed to like not want to care. We always talk about myth. You know, the myth of the U.S. was that it, they don't even begin to think about becoming sort of a even vaguely globalized power until about the time of Teddy Roosevelt. Well, I mean, they were World War Two, perhaps. Oh no, oh, no definitely Teddy, Teddy Roosevelt. Because <laughs> <laughs> he went to the. The, Philip, oh, the Fi- Spanish American <laughs> War, Philippines, and all of that. Right. I will so. definitely bring up the Great White Fleet again. I will say <laughs> so, this so, for my so, history professor. So it's sort of like okay, the American You're Revolution. Foreshadowing this hard. So the American <laughs> Revolution happened, and the Brits are already a little ouchy, and the French are okay with that. Of course, the French haven't gone through a whole bunch of stuff themselves. And, Maybe another episode. You know, Austria-Hungary being Austria-Hungary and all I mean, of that. A so lot then, of them were kind of busy with Napoleon. Right, because then comes this thing like, who's this, who's this guy, Monroe Madison, whatever, and caring about all of these little countries, like uh, like these warm countries. Who are, who are they? Like, who, who cares? The, the draw of colonialism, I, I, I don't think we want to downplay that um, because... European countries in the 19th century are basically all about colonialism. Mm -hmm. That's their jam. But (laughs) after we tell them like to get the F out of our lane, they just all go to Africa. So Ah. (laughs) it's true though. 
So, I mean, I It's closer. Yeah, I mean, it's easy. Yeah, it's closer for them, so it's not quite as as, as much of a track. But so realistically, I, I don't think that, you know, it, it wouldn't be reasonable to think that they would just lose interest in, um, you know, Central America, the Caribbean, South America, you know, the rest of the what is now the United States on their own. We'd just beaten the British... So we proved our mettle a little bit. And so we, we did have, you know, kind of the clout to, to say and potentially be able to back it up. Don't don't come around here or else no you're going to be in trouble. This is the era, though, of South American revolution. Sorry, my South American uh, history class is coming back to me. <laughs> uh, I took that. Gosh, second semester of my undergrad career. I'm Ten plus years ago. Oh, now, my God. Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> right. Which it's. It is the era, the 1820s and 1830s, and even into the 1850s, right? This is the era of South American revolutions. So just after Monroe, though, to make sure that I'm not completely bullshitting well, here. Argentina, though. Argentina is early. But that's South America. There's like a whole little mini ocean past where yeah. Monroe cared about. Yeah. Yeah, but we hadn't cut them off yet, so they were still right. connected. It was still the same landmass. <laughs> Panama. Welcome to NPR's live coverage of President Pence's address commemorating the 200th anniversary of the Monroe Doctrine, first proclaimed in 1823. I'm Amy Abel, here in the West Texas town of El Paso with NPR news analyst Milt Coast, here to provide the kind of in-depth coverage made possible by listeners like you. Yes. Maybe you can enjoy this broadcast with a glass of morning edition breakfast Bordeaux. Oh, that is good stuff. Milt, as the podium is prepared, the statue of James Monroe is set up, the invited political and business leaders take their seats, and President Pence dons a sombrero. Can we expect any surprises from today's speech? Well, we can't expect Pence to use this address as a reset on his foreign policy after North Korea conquered South Korea and China purchased every country in sub-Saharan Africa. And he'll continue distancing himself from his predecessor. Is that going to be easy, considering we're standing in the shadow of the wall his predecessor was indicted for building? All 16 feet of it. He might link the Trump memorial wall to the Monroe Doctrine, but leave out the fact that Trump was jailed for embezzlement and hanged himself with the bedsheets in his cell. How would James Monroe feel if he saw that wall? I was surprised, as Texas wasn't part of the Union in 1823. Uh, but he'd be pleased to see that the nations which Simon Bolivar had just liberated during the Monroe presidency, like Venezuela and Peru, are still around to mark this anniversary. Were James Monroe and Simon Bolivar amigos, as they say? Not exactly, uh, since Monroe was, for all his talk about liberty, an imperialist and a slave owner, and Simon Bolivar believed in absolute equality and the redistribution of wealth. Bolivar sounds a little bit like Bernie Sanders, who might be giving this address if his heart hadn't exploded a week before the 2020 election. And if he were here, Sanders might call the Monroe Doctrine a cynical attempt by the United States to monopolize Latin America's natural resources. Pence probably won't say that. Well, we'll know soon. Here now is the President's speech commemorating the 200th anniversary of the Monroe Doctrine, brought to you live on NPR, made possible by listeners like you. Or it would be if it weren't for something unexpected. The, the bust of James Monroe on the podium coming to life and assuming the form of a very different Monroe than the one we're here to celebrate. Do I have that right, Milt? 
Yes, it appears to be what I assume is the ghost of the actress Marilyn Monroe, who died in 1962. Uh, Mr. Pence looks quite surprised, as I think most of us are, although according to legend, Marilyn Monroe was no stranger to presidential intrigue. Well, listeners, we didn't plan for the pledge drive to coincide with Marilyn Monroe's resurrection. This is just the kind of great in-depth coverage that listeners like you make possible. Happy Monroe Day, Mr. President. If you kiss our hand, we won't get temperamental, because doctrines are the world's best friend. If you drill your land, it would be instrumental in ensuring that... We'll be nice to your diplomat. Europe's gold is bought and sold, and it loses its worth in the end. But each time they're printed, our dollars are minted. Doctrines are the world's best friend. Pinochet, CIA, Somoza, shut your mouth, Manuel Noriega. Okay, Milt, what's your take on what we just saw? Well, I thought Marilyn sounded pretty good for someone who's been dead for over 60 years. Provided that's her. For our listeners, it seems that the ghost of Marilyn Monroe has transformed into... Is it a wraith? Perhaps more of a cross between a wraith and a chupacabra. Whatever it's called, it has rather long steel claws and teeth and appears to be... Threshing? Is that a good word? Well, threshing, uh, dismembering, eviscerating. The end result is that President Pence is losing quite a bit of blood. And the audience seems to be at some risk, too, as banana leaves have sprouted from the ground to secure them to their chairs so an army of machete-wielding zombie children can massacre them. Milt, would the Secret Service be more able to help if their guns hadn't transformed into crucifixes? Oh, probably. Uh, Congress's decision to spite Nixon by terminating the Transmogrification Preparedness Program in 1973 now looks short-sighted. Speaking of 1973, that looks like the late Chilean president Salvador Allende eviscerating his successor. Salvador Allende? Would he be any relation to Isabel Allende, the noted author whom Terry Gross will be interviewing later on Fresh Air, another great NPR show made possible by listeners like you? He was her uncle. Secretary of State Henry Kissinger had him deposed and killed. In a way, it is sort of fitting that this highly organized event has deteriorated into the kind of carnage one finds on the pages of a magical realist novel by Isabel Allende or Gabriel Garcia Marquez, since it's arguably American imperialism that made the entire genre possible. Gosh, Milt, NPR listeners are sure getting their money's worth from your insightful analysis today. (laughs) Well, I'm certainly better than a tote bag. (laughs) I'm not so sure about that. Those are some gorgeous tote bags. This has been NPR's coverage of what was supposed to be a speech commemorating the Monroe Doctrine, but is now some act of cosmic vengeance which you can rest assured we will keep monitoring. Back to you, Ari Shapiro. And if you donate today, we will enter into a drawing to win tickets to Hamilton. (laughs) 
this is also, even though we call it the era of good feelings, this is also <laughs> the ramp up to sectional division, not sexual division, sectional division. Because there's certain because there's something that some states want and other that states, other states do don't not want. want. And so Congress goes along for a while being able to add one to the slavery side, add one to the non-slavery side, and keep a pretty even balance in Congress, um, but that, we shall see, does not last. So where does the tension start? I mean, where does, I guess, wonder where does the, the tension sort of start to build that leads to the Civil War? And because part of what is, part of it is... 1776? Well, well, I'm looking at it from... 1492. So you mean 1619, right? I'm looking at it from the... First African-Americans imported to United States. But we just talked about, oh, you want all of the, you know, there's all these wonderful benefits to become a state, except that, again, except for this thing that is clearly Mm -hmm. this division. Now, again, we, when we wrote these shows when we first produced it in in 2017 we had a series of sketches little sort of short sketches mm-hmm. that depicted the build up to the to the civil war and more importantly the constant uh coming up to the conflict and then Pushing it just far enough away just that you didn't have to deal so with it anymore. With we it literally, we literally, we literally, <laughs> we literally put a can, a tin can or a bucket on the stage and kept kicking it from side to side to side as a symbol of that thing not wanting to, uh, that thing that people didn't sort of want to confront. But the way you explained it, one of the ways you also avoided is to maybe get the create the impression that there's plenty for everybody. And there's room for everybody, and we can all get along and coexist really, really. Um, and maybe this is sort of the peak of that era. And getting back to um, getting back to Monroe, he sort of starts doing some things that probably start right. I mean, obviously, the most or the, the most obvious one is the Missouri Compromise, mm-hmm. right, which comes at the very end of his presidency, in which he. Uh, Congress writes it and he signs it into law, so I won't put it all in Monroe, but he does not veto it, right? He allows Missouri and Maine to both enter the Union, one a free state and one a slave state. Again, keeping that balance uh, in Congress that really sets a precedent for how states are admitted to the Union until the Civil War. Mm -hmm. That tit-for-tat, while it was good for Monroe to be able to keep the peace in a way, it's not sustainable and like you're saying just kicks the can further down the road or or it's sustainable for approximately 40 more years only (laughs) but it is you know as chelsea mentioned this precedent that is set that is then just repeated over and over and over with each crop of new states coming in um and keeping a new compromise to keep the balance a new compromise to keep the balance um and so this is sort of that first big compromise that then sets the stage for all of the subsequent smaller compromises that eventually come to a head um, and can't be compromised anymore. So is is Monroe or is Madison? I'm getting see see. This is part of what happens. Is Madison and Monroe person. get mixed up? They have the same initials. I they know. The thing is, though, that because my question is, is Mon- he a cipher? I think I just answered. Well, it. I mean, Didn't- the, question, the thing is that Monroe is the heir apparent to Madison anyway. Like he is 
literally the anointed one to become president after Madison. So mixing them up is not really that big of a sin. Which is ironic because after that you do get the tradition of vice presidents who pass and who become presidents and they're just disasters for the most part. Yeah. Also they had a huge falling out. So Oh yeah. <laughs> Unless the president is off in some way, shape or form. <laughs> Going back to the era of good feelings, as in nobody's really noticing us. We found a little spot for ourselves. Mm -hmm. We've got this guy willing to just hang for a while. He's got the bona fides of having signed the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. He fought in the American Revolution. He fought. So let's just kind of, again, let's just kind of get this weird coasty thing. And hey, maybe this. American thing will just go along swimmingly. Yeah, like maybe this whole slavery thing will just solve itself. Yeah. I mean, it solved itself in Britain. Just kidding. They actually just banned slavery. And really, all presidents, all presidential elections will just be this smooth from here on out. Don't you wish, though? I mean, not to say that, like, James Monroe was not a controversial figure, right? He was still a slave owner. Mm-hmm. You know, something that we don't always talk about. We talk about it a lot with Thomas Jefferson. People talk about it a little bit with James Madison. But I feel like once James Monroe is president, like, You kind of, like, assume that everyone after that, like, <laughs> no, I mean, the presidents didn't own slaves after that, right? 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 No, he owned um, a lot of slaves. Right? Does- he was from, he was part of the Virginia dynasty. He owned slaves. The community nearby his Charlottesville plantation, still many of those people are named Monroe, and I bet you can figure out why. But just when you think you've made some history... I'm sure a few of them may be related. I can't imagine. But... Just when you think you've made a little history, everything will coast, an election comes along, and it just kind of screws everything up again. I'm so excited. Yay! Join us next time. Foreshadowing. (laughs) This episode's sketches were written and produced by Gina Bucola, Sandy Bykowski, Joseph Fedorko, Ramona Chouet, Sylvia Mann, Paul Moulton, and Patrick J. Riley. This episode's sketches were performed by Gina Bacola, Sandy Bakowski, Brad Davidson, Joseph Fedorko, Ramona Chouet, Sylvia Mann, Paul Moulton, Patrick J. Riley, and Tommy Spears. Original music written and performed by Throop McClurg. Audio production of the Electables Podcast is by Joseph Fedorko. The Electables Concept was created by Patrick J. Riley. Contributions to DB Comedy are graciously accepted by going to the DB Comedy donation page at fracturedatlas.com, who is the non-profit fiscal sponsor of DB Comedy. Donations are tax-deductible to the fullest extent allowed by law. For more information on DB Comedy and the electables, visit DB Comedy's website, dbcomedychicago.com, and follow us on Facebook at DB Comedy and Twitter at DB Comedy Chicago. 